Good news. My new book is almost here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth. And while it doesn't officially come out with Sounds True until May 7th, you can pre-order it now. And when you do, you'll receive up to $500 in additional gifts and resources to support you on your healing journey. I wrote this book because in the four-year span between 2016 and 2020, I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked every area of my life, health, relationships, finances, career, social status, and even my very identity. Along the way, I experienced firsthand just how dysfunctional our culture's relationship to loss really is. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success, shackled with isolation, and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and evolution, not only as individuals, but as a species. So this book expands the conversation around grief and loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we cover those too, to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. This includes the end of a relationship or job, death of a loved one, a natural disaster or a war, infertility, abortion, or a financial crisis. Also, when we're going through hard times, we're encouraged at every turn to hurry up and get on with it. But by trying to power through these messier seasons of life, we're denying ourselves the very answers to our healing and growth. Whether you're experiencing hardship right now, or you know that you have past hurts that are holding you back and still need healing, this book will support you. Handbook for the Heartbroken will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. Within the loving pages of this book, you'll have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically, find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. You can download your free chapter now and pre-order the book to receive all those bonuses at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. That's handbookfortheheartbroken.com. I also want to add that pre-ordering the book now is the very best way that you can support me as an author and the health of this book when it enters the world in May. It signals to booksellers to stock the book at that time and in turn, make it available to more people who need it. So thank you for your pre-orders. Thank you for your support. And I look forward to continuing to deepen together in this important conversation over the coming months. Hello, welcome to the Sarah Avon Stover podcast, a space to come home to your inner wisdom. I'm Sarah, best-selling author and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And this podcast was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations about all different facets of the feminine spiritual journey. But above all, I created this because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear her inner wisdom, she's able to live her true path in the world. I hope this podcast helps you do just this. I'm happy you're here. 
Let's dive in. Hello, friends. Summer is in full swing here in Colorado. As I publish this, as it's released, I'll be deep in the mountains here in Colorado, off the grid, camping for several days. I'm just finding every way that I can to soak up this season. And I'm also celebrating this season here on the podcast. Over the next several weeks, I'll publish a handful of episodes on the topic of women's yoga and meditation. And these will be a combination of interviews with women in the field. The last episode was an interview with Angela Farmer, as well as a few hand-picked replays of Dharma talks that I've given here over the years. And I offer these all to you for your enjoyment this summer as well as to give you a taste of my upcoming women's yoga and meditation teacher training, a 200-hour Yoga Alliance accredited program, which is taking place for the first time ever, 100% online between September of this year and January 2022. So it's both a teacher training and a practice intensive in women's yin and slow flow yoga, Buddhist meditation, and psychological healing and maturity. So if you want to teach and inspire women in your own community, or you simply feel hungry for a women's community and a chance to nourish your own body and soul later this year, this is for you. Like I said, this is the first time I've ever offered this online, and this new format is much more accessible as you're able to join without the big expenses of travel and accommodation. So tuition is a couple of thousand dollars less than it normally is, which is kind of a big deal if you're if you're on a budget or um, just haven't been able to, to make this training in the past, particularly because it was cost prohibitive. So if you're curious and want to learn more, you can visit womensyogateachertraining.com. That's womensyogateachertraining.com. And uh, one other way that I'm just playing this summer with you is if you haven't heard, I'm hosting a free five-week online gathering called Women's Summer of Celebration. And we started this past week. It was a lot of fun. And our next session is this coming Wednesday. I am joined each week by a new guest teacher who leads us through experiences from sensual dance to creative writing to music therapy and more. So if you, like me, just feel hungry after a lot of hardship with this pandemic to bring more aliveness, more pleasure, more connection into your life, please join us. Again, it's 100% free at womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash summer. That's womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash summer. And both of these links that I shared will be in the show notes. And now on to today's Dharma talk. Again, it's a replay of one that I gave five years ago, yet it is still so relevant today. I hope you enjoy 
It's called The Mysterious Path of Women's Yoga. A lot of times people ask me, women ask me, what is women's yoga? And I find that the best way to explain it is really through my own story, my own journey into discovering women's yoga, because I think that while there are commonalities in women's yoga amongst all women, there are also particularities of how each of us is called to this particular path. And mine had very painful beginnings, as I think is true for for many of us who are drawn to this path. I remember a particularly um, kind of heartbreaking Christmas. It was when I was a senior at college. I went to college in New York City. And I was home in Connecticut. It was about a one-hour train ride away from from New York. And it was a little town on the Long Island Sound where my mother had moved just maybe 15 minutes away from the town that I grew up in. She moved there after my parents got divorced a few years earlier. And since kind of the divorce was still in process, it was a pretty tumultuous divorce. And it was also new for me and my three sisters to be dividing our time between parents over the holidays. And so the holidays started to take on a very different flavor than they had in the past. They, In the past, they had always just been really heartwarming, fun, connecting times of year that I always really looked forward to. But once my parents got divorced, it seemed to be really stressful, like are they going to get mad if I go to this person's house and I'm not at the other person? And it just, and we're going to be, we, my sisters and I going to be separated. And I remember it was, it was raining and it was cold and it was gray. And I laced up my running shoes and I went out for a run in the rain. And at that time I was training to run a marathon in New York city. I'd been running I ran a half marathon. I was running 5K races. I was really, really into running. And I, I found it to be a really great outlet for my sadness, for my anger, my frustration, and also kind of my pent-up creativity because I was just so immersed in my academics. And I had also stopped dancing, which was really a lifelong passion of mine up until college. But I, I stopped dancing because there was so much competition amongst body image and so many eating disorders amongst the dancers at my college that I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I turned to running as my as my outlet for for all of those things. And I was running, I was running, the street was was wet with the rain. And I used to really like to run up hills and then run down them and run up them and then run down them. And I was running up one particular hill that was actually someone's driveway. It was a very steep driveway. And about three quarters of the way up, I heard a pop on the inside of my left knee. And then I was in excruciating pain and I had to limp home. And that obviously was the beginning of a a pretty intense knee injury that I then needed to go into rehab for for a while. And part of that rehab 
led me to deepen my yoga practice. I had been practicing yoga on and off for, for four years since I was a freshman in college, but really running was the main passion of mine. But since I couldn't be running anymore because of my knee, and since obviously the marathon was out of the question, I needed a new outlet for all of that intensity. So I signed up for a power yoga workshop one weekend with a man named Baron Baptiste um, back in the olden days of yoga. <laughs> and he was teaching at my gym in downtown Manhattan. And I really, I found power yoga to be a really great form of exercise and it helped me to build strength and it made me feel more relaxed afterwards and it helped to clear my mind. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. So I started to to make that power yoga my kind of number one focus in terms of my embodiment practice. And then fast forward a year later, and I had moved to Thailand to a hilly city in the north called Chiang Mai. And I moved there originally to teach uh, at an American-style international school. And I was teaching English literature and writing and dance. And I was very isolated. This, this school was a boarding school, and it was up in the hills beautiful location, but it was about 30 minute drive away from the city. And I realized that I was really going to be kind of on my own in terms of my yoga practice. And I wasn't that far along in my practice at that time to really know how to structure a home practice, how to have the discipline to have a home practice. So I did some research online and I came across a yoga video by a man named Richard Freeman, whom I had never heard of before. But somewhere at some point, I had heard a recommendation about this particular video. It was a VHS cassette back in those days. And I thought, okay, well, that seems good. And I'll just order it. And I'll wait to have it shipped over here from the US. And I did that. And however many weeks later, However long it took for the VHS to finally arrive in Thailand, I plunked it into my, um, I don't even remember what those were called, video player. I know that's not the right term, but whatever they were called in my living room, I plunked it in there after work and I rolled out my yoga mat and I started practicing with him. And most of the stuff I couldn't do, he did things like, just that I had never seen another human being do. He just seemed to float on air and to have zero tension in his body, which was unlike me. But I was intrigued and I was ambitious and I kept practicing with him. And I then found after I stopped teaching at that school, I moved down into the city and I got a house in the city and I discovered that there was a man from the UK who was teaching that same form of yoga that Richard Freeman taught in that in that VHS cassette and it was called Ashtanga Yoga. And it was a lot like the power yoga that I learned in New York, but it was it was actually harder. It was actually harder. And so this man, he was teaching in a room at the top of a guest house. That's where a lot of kind of backpacker tourists would come to stay and 
it was this glass room on the roof of this guest house with big white tiles on the floor. And there were no yoga mats there in Thailand at the time, but he had these kind of long rubber car mats that we would use. And he would lead us through a similar kind of practice that Richard Freeman led in his in his tape. And again, it was a two-hour, just super, super sweaty, super athletic practice that left us literally, especially in the hot season in Thailand, just in pools of sweat. And so these these rubber mats kind of became like slip and slide if you ever played that childhood game out on the lawn in the summer. But it was it was amazing. And I would leave and hop on my motorbike, which is my mode of transportation there, and drive back to my house. And I would just feel so wrung out of just tension and any negativity. And I just felt very open and light and free. And I just started to fall more and more in love with yoga. So much so that I followed my fascination with Richard Freeman um, online and decided to do some more research and saw that he lived in Boulder, Colorado, which some of you know is where I live now. He's actually the one that brought me to Boulder. So a lot of gratitude for that. And I saw that he taught a month-long intensive, a teacher training intensive that required an application. So I took a risk and I applied to study with him and anxiously awaited the response and found out that I had been accepted. So that summer, I traveled back to the U.S. and visited my family on the East Coast and then went out to Boulder for a month. And my younger sister lived here. She still does live here. And I I stayed with her and I slept on the floor of her bedroom. And I borrowed her bike. And every morning I would wake up at four, which was kind of my thing at the time, (laughs) because that was what time the monks would wake up in Thailand. And when I did meditation retreats in Thailand, that was the time that we had to get up. And it was said to be kind of Buddha's hour, the awakening hour of really the most potent time to meditate. So I'd meditate from four to five, and then I would bike a few miles to Richard's yoga studio to do a two-hour Ashtanga, self-guided Ashtanga practice, which is called Mysore, for those of you who are familiar with it. And then we had a full day of this training with more practice, and then I would bike home to my sister's house which on the way home, it was an uphill ride. So this is really intense. This is a lot of exertion each day. And I would just, I would end the day just completely exhausted and just basically pass out and wake up in the morning and do it all over again. So at the time, this, this brought me incredible strength, incredible flexibility it was very empowering to see that I could do these very advanced poses, poses that I don't think I'll ever be able to do again, nor attempt or even want to do again. <laughs> but I I loved it. However, underneath there was there was a compulsiveness, which I'm sure you're sensing in that it was like an addiction. It was, I'd kind of taken my running addiction that that outlet to kind of run away from my problems 
And once I couldn't do that anymore, I put that into the yoga. So while yoga is a pathway to freedom, it was also really mixed up for me with a pathway to being more entrapped in in myself and in my patterns. Not to mention that this form of yoga, this Ashtanga yoga, which is a really beautiful form of yoga, but it was originally developed for young male gymnasts in India, and it was often it was often used in performances and comp- competitions, and it, that is that form is what was brought to the West and then practiced as Ashtanga yoga. So at that time, you know, I was 21, 22, 23. I was very skinny. I had a lot of energy. I had a lot of innocence and just exuberance. And so in a lot of ways, it was really perfect for me at that time of my life. But, you know, while my body was resilient because I was still quite young, I also started to develop a lot of physical problems. So I was often constipated. I remember those early mornings doing those practices and just feeling so uncomfortable because I hadn't gone to the bathroom in two or three days. And I also had cervical dysplasia of the early stages of cervical cancer. I had irregular periods. I had a cyst the size of a golf ball on my right ovary that once made me buckle over on a sidewalk in Asia because I was in so much pain. And I still had a lot of that underlying anxiety that I was trying to run away from. So that's the scene. That's the scene that kind of brought me, brought me onto this path. And then you can fast forward about four years. And at that time I was, I had become a yoga teacher. I was teaching full time, teaching yoga full time in Thailand and was very successful at it. And I was dating a man, um, quite seriously. We were living together and he had roots in Northampton, Massachusetts. And so we went back to the U.S. for the summer and I visited my family in Connecticut. And then we went up to Northampton, Massachusetts, where we rented a little cottage for the summer. And one of the reasons why we decided to go there for the summer was because there were a lot of really great yoga teachers And as I was kind of doing some research on the yoga studios there, I saw one particular class at one of the recommended yoga studios, and it was called Women's Yoga. And I was like, huh, what what is women's yoga? I didn't even know something like that existed. And I was curious, and so I went And it was an evening class. It was like a seven o'clock class. And I remember going in and kind of the light was getting softer outside and the lights were dimmed inside the studio. It was really nice wood floors. And there were women who had just laid their mats out and were kind of stretching or meditating on their mats. And I felt a little bit awkward and out of place (laughs) because it was... It was very different from the kind of yoga environments I'd been used to going to, which were kind of, um, there was like a more stern, more competitive atmosphere in the room. And 
I, but I just went with it and I set up my mat and my props and it was time for class to start. And the teacher, Marilyn, came and sat down at her mat. And immediately I was awestruck with this woman, Marilyn. From what I can tell, from what I could tell, she was in her early 50s. And she was like no other woman I'd ever seen in her early 50s. She she was radiant and she was fit. Like she was toned. And you could tell that she was really, she was flexible and strong. And there was a lot of aliveness in her body, in her tissues, in her cells. But it wasn't like a like a dried up, brittle, tight kind of strength. Like I like I had in my body and like I had just come to see in a lot of women's bodies through all the more um, athletic kinds of yoga that I was doing. And she led a class that didn't follow the usual scripts that I was used to or sequences that I was used to. It was very flowing. It was very creative. It made me sweat, but it also gave me a lot of time to really relax and unwind. And I, I was speechless, really. I was speechless. But afterwards, I managed to ask her, who is your teacher? <laughs> who is your teacher? Which I think is really the biggest compliment that we can ever pay another teacher is to say, you know, who is your teacher? Because I... I want to study with you and I want to go to the source and I want to study with them too. And she told me the name of her teacher. The name of her teacher was Sofia Diaz, whom I had never heard of. And Marilyn and I became friends. She invited me over to her house and I started to get more of a glimpse into the kind of life that she led. She, she led. There was a lake right in front of her house that she swam across every morning And she made these beautiful soups and flower arrangements. And her home had a very whimsical, um, artistic, very creative feel to it with a lot of little altars with, with, with stones and cards and little paintings and just seemed very different from the way that I lived, which was very regimented, you know, my 4 a.m. wake up for the meditation, then the two to three hour yoga practice and so on and so forth. So I was, I was further impressed with her. And so I did some research online and I explored this woman, Sophia Diaz, and I saw that serendipitously she was teaching a week long women's retreat nearby very nearby, about a half an hour away at a big yoga center that I had spent a lot of time at called Kripalu um, the following month. So I listened to my inner guidance and I signed up for that. And I went to Sophia's women's yoga retreat. And just as it was with Marilyn, even more so after my first practice with Sophia, I remember I was laying in Shavasana and she guided us through a meditation on forgiving our mothers and tears were just streaming down my face and I felt so cracked open 
And this voice rose up inside of me and said, this is my teacher. This is my teacher. And I knew that I would follow her for the rest of my life. I would do whatever it took to keep studying with her. And that was 13 years ago. And that was a summer that I really shifted my path, not only my yoga path, but also my path of spiritual practice and also the path of my life. And from then on, I dedicated myself to women's yoga. And I began to understand little by little, what is women's yoga? And that's not to say that I have all the answers now. It's it's um, an exploration that I will be living for the rest of my life. But when women ask me, what is women's yoga? There are some core things that I share about it. And one of those is that it really prioritizes our feeling over our thinking. And I think so many times we can be doing a yoga practice but we're not really there. We're kind of checked out and we're thinking about a million different things. So if the teacher is not guiding our awareness into feeling, the yoga practice is literally only skin deep or muscle deep. It's not really going into our cells. It's not really going into our organs. It's not going into our pranic energy body. So We also want to be, you know, on this path of women's yoga, exploring how can I move my body as a gesture of love? Because love isn't a thing. It's not a thing that just exists. It is actually something that we need to enact as a gesture in order to bring it into the world. So I use my women's yoga yoga practice as a practice time to be a whole bodied gesture of love. And there's a central question behind that, that my teacher Sophia introduced me to all those years ago, which is the question, are you in love? Are you in love? And she says that the difference between practicing yoga and dragging your body around like a cantankerous dog on a leash is the answer to the question, are you in love? So what do we need to shift in our breath and where we're placing our attention and what we're feeling from our environment in any moment in order to answer yes to that question? And women's yoga also honors our anatomy. So there I was you know, doing all these super advanced poses with this painful ovarian cyst, with the cervical dysplasia, with these very irregular periods, with this constipation, and with you know more belly fat, with breasts than a lot of the skinny male teachers that I was practicing with. And I found in those traditions, I was really struggling to embrace my imperfections. And I was feeling like I, there was something wrong with me. And so it's, it's like my inner critic got louder through doing those practices. 
But in finding women's yoga, I found a path that actually honors my imperfections and honors my feminine physiology and makes room for those in my practice. And not only makes room for them, but also helps me to to serve them, to nourish them, to nourish my breasts, to nourish nourish my womb, my ovaries, how my body changes throughout the month during my hormonal cycles or as I'm getting older or during different times of the year or when I'm going through a life transition when I might be more tired, more run down. So tied to that, I also learned how to practice according to cycles, you know, my menstrual cycle, the lunar cycle, seasonal cycles. So it didn't seem like when I had my period that it was a nuisance. Like I felt when I was doing the Ashtanga practice, it was like, oh, I have my period. Um, you know, I'm not going to be able to do headstand or I'm just going to do it anyway. Or uh, so I'm just much more tired on that day, but I'm just going to power through the practice anyway, and then feel like crap after. No, with women's yoga, I began to learn that I can have really quiet, contemplative times to practice. And also other times when I could be doing more exuberant, challenging poses that I could do both. And I wouldn't lose my strength. I wouldn't lose kind of my edge. I wouldn't lose that sense of inner power, that fire that I loved so much but it could be softened and kind of tempered and more balanced. I also loved in women's yoga how it was more collaborative and it was more of a community. It wasn't as competitive or wasn't competitive at all, really, compared to what I had been doing where I was, when I was doing my practice, I was always looking at other people's poses and comparing myself and thinking, gosh, Sarah, you know, you really should be doing it like them. Look where they can lift their leg or look how deep their back bend is. Look, they can do that arm balance and you can't. But when I came to women's yoga, it wasn't, it wasn't about that. It was about feeling good. And it was about being together. And it was about enjoyment. And it was about pleasure. And it was about connection. And it was about compassion. And it was about acceptance. It was about our sensuality. And that opened the doorway to also seeing that practice can be really playful and fun. It can be even an ecstatic experience. It can be an incredibly devotional experience when, when we bring our heart into it and we connect our heart to our deepest motives for this life. And then we express that through our bodies and our breath, through these ancient and beautiful shapes. And through that, I I also learned to love my limitations, to see those not as things to kind of blast through or to fix or perfect, but as things to love and to see as them as doorways to deeper learnings about myself and my life. And things to offer into the altar of my heart for transformation. That they weren't things for me to get rid of or to change. They were things for me to offer over in a surrendered and devotional and trusting way. Women's yoga also helped to land me in my feminine strength of receptivity and intuition and availability 
And as I've mentioned many times already of, of love, to see myself as a channel for love, as the highest priority of my life and my practice as the main vehicle for me to be able to do that and to keep rooting myself in that amidst the many, many distractions that come my way on any given day, especially in the world, how, how it is right now. So this path became a very much a healing path for me. Um, it, it moved away from being kind of mechanical and rigid, and I, I have to do this, to being a form of magic, a form of deep inner listening and intimacy and connection that allowed me to heal my cervical dysplasia, my cysts. My cysts started to soften as I started to soften. My menstruation became completely regular and it has been regular ever since then. And through that, you know, I didn't, I didn't lose the power from the power yoga. I actually stepped into my power. I stepped into my power because I learned I don't need to keep running away from myself. I need to keep turning into myself, to feeling myself, to loving myself, to opening my body throughout all the times and places and situations when I want to close. So all those years ago, you know, on that rainy December miserable day when I went out for that run and hurt my knee and I was so pissed that I hurt my knee so pissed that my parents were getting divorced. I was so pissed that I couldn't run anymore. I never would have thought that, you know, all these years later, almost 20 years later, now it's been 18 years since that moment, that I would be where I am, that I would feel this much joy, this much freedom, this much love in my heart and this much peace and sensual aliveness in my body and that I'd be teaching this work. So women's yoga, it's, uh, it's mysterious and it's beautiful and it's, it's healing and it's a, it's a big doorway to walk through. It's a big initiation that holds gifts, different gifts, similar gifts, big gifts, small gifts, challenging gifts, easy gifts for all of us who choose to step into it. So over the coming weeks, I look forward to sharing with you more details about practice. It's it's something that I could really talk about for more than just, you know, a handful of episodes. It's it's really a really vast, in-depth topic, but I'm going to keep leading us deeper and deeper into it and into this unraveling this mystery of women's yoga and women's meditation and what the practice is and what the path actually looks like in a practical way for us as modern women. If some of what I shared today inspired you, and if you'd like support in healing and connecting to yourself, your practice, and your community in a distinctly feminine way, 
You can learn more about this women's yoga and meditation teacher training at womensyogateachertraining.com. Early registration is open right now with a $300 discount and a five-part payment plan, and that's available until August 12th. Again, you can learn more about the program and join us at womensyogateachertraining.com. If it feels right, I'd love to have you. Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time out for yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way other women who might enjoy it can better find it. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.